0: Saying, you got to go
1: full tilt, full zoom, a little spark lose that, so, from me to you, don't ever lose because it keeps you alive. This discussion is going to be about this ADC documentary which has caused a lot of stir in the community. And some people are reacting very strongly to this. And the documentary is on Netflix. Uh, It's called Take Your Pills. And today I'm joined with Susan. Uh, Why don't you just tell everyone a little bit about what you do and who you are.
0: I have a master's of science in education and I specialize in adult learning and learning organizations. I have a background in mindfulness, emotional regulation, and nonviolent communication. All of those were struggles for me, very much negatively impacted things like my career and personal relationships. And then at 37, I discovered, oh, I have ADHD, now this all makes sense. In some ways I'm really grateful, That I got to come to some of these things organically without people telling me who I am as someone with ADHD. You know, everything from email, trying to learn how to write email without sounding like a jerk and pushing people away to setting appropriate boundaries and close relationships to advocating for a position in a team meeting. Something that I really believe in. And so I feel like all of that is really relevant to this conversation, particularly because I've seen how strongly people have reacted just to the idea of the documentary, whether or not they've seen it, and that we're presenting this very volatile, impulsive message about who we are that is probably really well received within the ADHD community, like that we can have these really intense moments with each other and get that. And it might not land for the broader community and may even have some kind of negative impact for the ADHD community. So I kind of was interested and we were we were just talking a little bit about this idea of skillful means. So maybe we can talk a little bit about what we've seen and what skillful means might look like when we're responding to these things that are so deeply personal
1: initially like my reaction to the documentary and i was a bit surprised that people were having such visceral reactions to it because to me i was like okay this was a little bit of a shock documentary you know the production value was actually pretty well like you can tell they did some higher level editing and they have a lot of cool effects and you know a lot of stuff that seems very flashy in the documentary itself but the quality of some of the content the balance of the story and the way it was presented the narrative overall narrative it left something to be desired but i also felt kind of just like well okay that was something but it wasn't like it didn't initially just upset me and, and make my blood boil the way that i think some people are reacting and i'm a bit i was a bit surprised to see chad feature this article that was posted as a blog post by Gina Para and feature that story. And then I saw subsequent ones also on their Facebook page. And then I just saw the community coming in with different comments. And then there's also, you know, Jessica, who has how to how to ADHD. Um, she came out with a video that was also kind of critiquing this and I feel like that on the one hand, we have people that are entering this discourse who may have ADHD themselves or have a relationship to the community, the ADHD community. They're either helping professionals, they're coaches, something like that. But the way in which we deal with this as a community is going to say a lot about Us and our receptiveness to information by attacking the thing that I don't like about the stuff I've been hearing so far is that there's these personal attacks going to the motives of the producer of the person, you know, one of the key people that made the film of having ADHD and then like accusing them of these ulterior motives that we don't really know all of why they made the documentary, what, what it meant for them. And I feel like that by just jumping into the fray and saying, well, you know, it, look, this is the problem that all of these, uh, that it's ADHDers themselves are creating all of this controversy and stigma. I mean, essentially, I'll, I'll give you a quote here from Gina Perez article. She says that neurotypicals are not the enemy of ADHD awareness and legitimacy. In my observation, this is a quote, in my observation, it is a People with ADHD who are in denial, grandiose, and angry that anyone dares say they have a disorder, plus they have something to sell. So she says in this that she's basically accusing ADHDers themselves of creating stigma for the community, and that it's us who are trying to sell something or do something that is negatively contributing and it's not neurotypicals. I have just a big problem with that statement.
0: Yeah, I can see that. I saw Jessica's video a couple days after I wrote my reaction blog post, which was more about, I kind of reflected on after watching it. And and I liked a lot of the points that Jessica had to make. And I feel like she did a good job of redirecting the conversation and kind of saying like, thanks for bringing this up. Here's my analysis. And and she made some good some good valid points of like mm-hmm. that I really appreciated. I think one of the things that I realized I felt immediately right after I watched it was wow, this is a documentary about Adderall abuse. This is not a documentary about ADHD. When I read a lot of the comments, it's like people I think desperately wanted this to be about ADHD. There are some voices in there for ADHDers who are frustrated with um, people trying to get their medication, or ADHDers who are struggling with identity issues, right? Did I graduate college or was it was it me plus Adderall? And those are very real issues and the documentary doesn't dive into them and I don't think that the intention of the documentary was to get into the finer points of ADHD. So to the extent that you watch it and you're like, "Well, this really isn't about me." I think is true. The other thing that I started reflecting on a couple days after was as somebody who is fairly recently diagnosed and was diagnosed as an adult you know and not because my kid was diagnosed but more because i i had hit a wall and i and i was desperate for for help i have a lot of really great credentials i have a lot of really cool stuff on my resume the big feeling that i had watching it was like are people going to think i cheated are people going to think that my bona fides are a result of me being amped up on drugs. I take reuptake inhibitors, which they mentioned that term once in the documentary without ever getting into what they are, how they differ from stimulants and that whole conversation about ADHD, the range of ADHD drugs. What happens when you take four or five times the recommended dose Mm -hmm. (laughs) versus like what your your doctor actually is prescribing? There's
1: abuse and then there's taking it as prescribed and having Mm -hmm. it condition, a clinical condition.
0: Yeah. I just, I found like, wow, you know, I I desperately was like, don't you dare take these things away from me? Like I did them the hard way. I did them without knowing what I was working with from a contextual perspective in terms of learning skills and also, you know, not having that pharmacological type of support. And, and there were absolutely places where I hit the wall because of that, but I also got back up despite it. And, and so I really started to also reflect like, well, that's my experience. I talked to um, one woman recently who was diagnosed in the fifth grade. Her experience was really different. My experience of this stuff is not the same as hers. I think that that was another thing that people really reacted to was this idea of generalizing what ADHD is like and reinforcing this, oh, well, you just can't focus. Mm, I'm not buying that. As a 37-year-old woman who works with neuroscience, I can look at some of these statements about ADHD and go, yeah, no, I don't think that's... I don't think that's true, right? Or the way that you're presenting it. It's
1: not true for me in my experience.
0: Yeah, or you're just creating a nocebo effect. Like, how is this helpful for any of us? I can understand, on the one hand, a lot of empathy for, but also really frustrated by was comment after comment where somebody is saying, oh, well, they just have an ax to grind. And then they start grinding their own ax or they haven't watched the documentary, taken time to reflect. I can understand that.
1: You're like, oh, I'm now. I'm not watching that documentary. It just must- oh,
0: well, now yeah. I'm not just. Uh, now I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna confront these narratives. I'm not yeah. gonna turn to face this and try to reflect on. Well, this is one person's experience. What is and, this documentary really and about?
1: I, and I, that's the thing that I really want to make sure that we hold space for is that. I think as a community, there is space for people to have be at different points of acceptance of their own ADHD. We must have that. We can't say everyone needs to be, you know, on board with your perspective and say, I need medication. I'm okay with this, or I accept the label, or I don't. I mean, everyone has their own process and where they're at. Someone in high school who's just diagnosed, or someone who's a a child that was diagnosed early on, someone who's an adult who was diagnosed, there's Way different stories, and you bring, you know, your own story into this too, as being someone that's diagnosed later in life. But that's something we need to respect. We can't assume that our experience is the experience of everyone else, and we can't say that just because I went through this one thing, or I had this troublesome relationship with the medication, or this is how it affected me, I had these side effects. That that means everyone has those. Because in my coaching practice, I've seen a lot of different. I've seen them it all pretty much. And sometimes kids get on medication and it's like, you know, the clouds lift and they have just this amazing epiphany and parents are amazed. Teachers are amazed and they're just like, wow, you know, my child actually cares about school now and they're doing so well. And there's just kind of this breakthrough that happens. And I love those cases because I'm like, this is, this is amazing when this happens you know and then I have those other cases that the, the they've tried medication after medication they take something and it causes horrible side effects they can't sleep it causes insomnia they're you know they have digestive issues they're not eating they feel like they're just kind of zoned out or something like it affects everyone differently because of their, the way they metabolize the medication and because of, you know, the different neurochemistry and the complicated factors, which we're still trying to understand about the brain and ADHD itself. So I think it's just way too early for us to jump in and dismiss things and say, well, you know, this story is not acceptable. We're not willing to hear this side of things. I think we should be open to hearing, okay, here are some cases of people where maybe they did suffer from addiction or maybe, some, maybe they did share their medication inappropriately. And why did they do that? Maybe, was it pressure from society? Was it this culture of kind of productivity at all costs? Which I think in the documentary itself, it does raise some of these important issues. How it, how it was done, that's something we can talk about. But let's talk about that in a mature, respectful way.
0: And that's really difficult to do, right? And there are some tools that I have found really helpful over the years because being reactionary in an unhelpful way has definitely been a bit Big roadblock in my life. And I really recognized that and dug into doing some very, very long term work. I mean, it happens bit by bit, it is not overnight. One of the things that really helped me was starting a foundation of um, mindfulness, which I started working with and, and actually teaching while I worked as a learning designer at Google. That I think helped me to recognize the difference between the narrative that was playing in my head in these loops, and who I was as a person, separating them a little bit and watching watching this uh, thing that's running in my head constantly, and being with it without needing to react to it, and, ha- and finding some pause. The practices that I built on from there were really about embodied practices. So that meant learning how to read emotions in my body as they arrive, because the emotions arrive as physical sensations before our brain can really label them. So now it's like, okay, can I use my body as an early warning system or a radar? Because there are emotional experiences that are very, very consistent, right? Anger often is going to show up as sensation in the hands, in the face, because you're going to get ready to punch something. So that's where blood flow is going to go. And you're going to have sensation there, right? You go, oh, like I have sensation in my hands. What's going on in, this meeting that's that might be starting to tick me off and can I get ahead of that before I say or do something that's going to get me into trouble um, so i really like the embodied practices it also really helps me get out of my head and get get down into something and kind yeah. of come down to earth and my day-to-day experience more
1: i love mindfulness practices and you know i'm a practitioner myself too of that and i found a lot of benefits and but that's something that A lot of people will assume that ADHD years can't do.
0: I would say it's different. (laughs) I think after my diagnosis, I looked back at that history of practice and teaching and my, my response was, well, of course that only half works. In mindfulness, right, when I teach someone, let's say a general audience, neurotypical, those neurotypical people, you know, a broad neurodiverse audience, there's a lot of discussion of allowing the silt to settle to the bottom of the water and having some clarity and spacious Now I recognize with my ADHD, my meditation practice is actually more about being a mirror, allowing those ideas and thoughts and neurons that are just going to keep firing to kind of blow past me without adding to them, without feeling the need to follow them. But this allowing them, I'm not going to fight them. Uh, Alan Watts says, fighting pain is pain. My ups and downs are less disruptive, and that helps me to feel emotionally regulated, which is probably my main ADHD problem symptom. And the thing that, that I did after that that I really feel like is, okay, now we've got this internal how do we take it outside of ourselves? How do we take it into communication and community is uh, nonviolent communication, which is a really misleading name. Nonviolent communication can be very formulaic, which is helpful as we're learning these skills. The rules are very, very simple. um, So it's easy to pick up on in that sense. We don't have to remember more rules than we can really hold in our head anyway. They have these charts and sheets of feelings and needs that are met or unmet and our feelings always point to needs that are met or unmet. So when we see like that there is a documentary and we watch it and we say, Oh, I'm having a really strong emotional reaction. Let me go look at this list. Let me let me circle a few of these things on the emotional side. Okay, what are the needs that are met or unmet? My need to be seen, my need for shared reality, my need for understanding, my need for community. You know, my need to be to be valued. Right? Maybe you have an unmet need to contribute to the conversation, <laughs> and having that pause, I found really helpful. The other thing that NBC helps with is the emotional listening and. It's still something I have to turn on, like a switch. Like I have to desi- decide to go into this type of listening. What it is about is listening for feelings, trying to guess honestly guess what needs and feelings that other person might be experiencing and holding them as sacred without doing the cultural empathy stuff that we're taught that actually brings the focus back to us. So, oh, I can tell you, mm-hmm. I can tell you about my story with Adderall is different from this is what I'm I'm wondering if this person's experience might be like with Adderall and kind of keeping it on understanding them and holding them as sacred.
1: What we do a lot in in. Just- if in friend-type communication or casual conversation is like, oh, well, yeah, I understand because this happened to me. Or yeah, yeah. I, under- I understand exactly what you're going through because me, right? And we have that mm-hmm. knee-jerk reaction to do that. But on a broader scale, like when we're reacting to something like this that has broader implications and it's a very public thing, that initial reactiveness and reactivity the people do without thinking. Oftentimes, I mean, usually when you're doing that with a friend, you're trying to be very helpful. Like, oh, I know exactly where you're coming from because I went through that a year ago or my mom was diagnosed with the same thing. Right. But it's like, um, let's take a step back and figure out first, does this type of, is this type of communication like helpful? And what are we doing with this? And can we really talk and not generalize a whole group of people based on our one lived experience or our own reality? And how can we communicate? Communicate in an effective way that brings multiple voices, multiple experiences, multiple realities into the fray and help advance this communication for all of us and do that in a way that doesn't feel attacking and violent and dismissive. Um, And that's what really kind of took me aback by some of the conversation is like, well, where do we put the blame? And we don't like this documentary now because look, it's bringing up this, this issue for us. Well, okay. But you know, it's also an important conversation for us to be having both internally and what we can learn from it, right? Mm-hmm. Like what you're saying is, what? how can we learn even when stuff bothers us? How can we, that's a, that's a chance to test ourselves, step back and use that kind yeah. of a chart or a framework, figure out how can I communicate better? Yeah
0: and when you come from a place of i saw this documentary and i have i have a real need to be seen right that's a very different place than i'm angry right now i am still at the point where i'm learning to not generalize my adhd experience you know it's funny when people say i have a disorder cuz i'm on the organized side of the of the the range so i'm like i pretty i pretty i pretty much don't have any disorder like i don't know i'm 37 year old adult who has a career in you know growth and potential in human development. So my ability to reflect on things when somebody says, oh, you're like this or you're like that, and just to go, no, I'm not. Oh, there's all these statistical horror stories about ADHD and all of these bad things about all of these treatments. And it's like, well, maybe, but my life's not like that. One big thing that came up for me when I was first diagnosed was looking at my current relationship and going like, wow, according to these statistics, I should not be attracted to this person at all. What's really going on? And realizing that the strength in my long-term relationship is that we don't have the same conversation over different meals as our dating life, partly because I have a food allergy. But we go out and do like archery and horseback riding and paddleboarding. And sometimes we, we both like it like archery. I really like horseback riding. My partner does not. But we found that out together and we had those adventures together. My need for novelty is deeply met by that pattern and that habit in our relationship. So I said, okay, I have this different experience. I'm going to reflect on it. What is it that I wish people knew? How can I make that a heart gift? With ADHD, with the sensitivity toward feedback, I'm aware of it. If I start feeling it, I go, okay, what is the good here? Even with something like this documentary that is having such a negative reaction and such a negative ripple effect, can we say, thank you so much for starting this conversation. Here's where I would like to take it next. In design thinking, we have this great um, feedback model that I really like, and that's always really worked for me, which is, I like, I wish, what if? When I get feedback as a facilitator with ADHD, I've you know maybe led a four-hour workshop or whatever. Like that, that's a very tender, vulnerable moment for me, and I have people do it to my face. <laughs> so it's really, like, it could be devastating. But this, I like. I wish. What if mm-hmm. is such a you know, if you're gonna grab a knife, grab it by the smooth side. So can you practice that with me? Let's Would you be that. willing to try it? That's, okay. That's what you? I was
1: just on um, the same page there.
0: Yay. How this goes is that you just have three sentences to say, thinking about this documentary from Netflix, Take Your Pills, mm-hmm. and your sentences start with, I like, I wish, and what if.
1: First, I like, and and I like, I like, because that's like, it's starting positive, which is, is always good, because um, especially if it's something that's negative too, or we have the same reaction, it's good to like start with that positive. I liked the imagery in the documentary, I liked some of the creative ways they cut stuff, some of the graphics. I even liked some of the filming and the framing, the way they did the interviews. Um, it had a an interesting pace to it that that really like kind of kept my interest. I mean, I watched the whole thing through. It was an entertaining documentary in that sense. You know, just without looking at the content, it was just entertaining on its surface. I wish they would have spent more time thinking about that narrative arc of the story of where they were going because it felt like it started off in one way and then it kind of like took this turn into something at the end where it's like they left you hanging with this stuff about performance enhancement and lsd and mescaline and psilocybin and all this stuff and it's just and they kind of just left it out there i wish they would have thought more about how linking all of these things together would create an overall narrative arc of that story and what it really means and present. I also wish they would have like presented this more as here is what we're talking about versus it seeming like on its surface, like this is about ADHD when it was probably more around this exploring questions of uh, performance enhancement and Adderall abuse and stimulant medications and questions about society having this need to want to perform at a high level and these high expectations placed on us in this day and age. And I also wish they would have presented more balanced stories. I wish they would have interviewed, you know, if they were taking this into more of an ADHD realm, I wish they would have interviewed different perspectives, different professionals who have other things to contribute to the discussion, clinicians, researchers who have done a lot about ADHD and about Adderall specifically. And is it, Um, I
0: mean, is, does wishing to saying I wish feel less like an attack and more like I'm talking about my desires? Yeah. Right. So what would your, what would your, what if look like?
1: I wish they would have also presented some positive stories of experiences with Adderall and experiences with stimulants um, to balance out stuff or at least talk about things not in a kind of in the traditional way that we hear about stories, which is always this like shock and awe of like, what's the negative or what's the most uh, surprising story we can think of, of like a murder, a fire, a bombing, something that grabs the public's attention but those are isolated incidents or like the worst case scenarios of things. And I, I just wish that there was more of a balance to how they presented things. Um, All right. So now what if, what if they would have spoke to a more general audience? Yeah. What if they, what if they would have done this? Like what if they would have um, talked about more of the motivations of what this documentary like set the stage of it. And what if they would have that general audience of like, is this for an ADHD community who are taking this medication? Or is this a documentary that's supposed to be serving neurotypicals or parents who are thinking about putting their child on medication? Who is the target of this information? And so I just I wonder if like what if they had been more clear about here's who this is for, here's why this is important, because um, they kind of just jump right in like these are the facts, this is the story, here's what's going on, and they present it like there's only one conclusion you can draw to everything. What if they would have come at this in a in a more transparent and and inclusive way, either coming from it In a personal sense, we're saying these are just isolated stories. Here's the stuff. Here's my experiences, what I'm going through. This is why I made this documentary. Here's what we're exploring or come at it with a more general standpoint of let's just investigate medications, stimulants, Adderall. Let's talk about ADHD. Like, let's look at this as the whole picture and do this for the community. And I think that there isn't right now a documentary yet that has done a good balanced job at doing that.
0: What I like about your what if, and this is one of the things I love about what ifs, is that we get to a clear call to action. Riches, what if somebody made the documentary that we wish this would have been? What if we took all of those wishes and some brilliant person with ADHD who wants to contribute to this conversation in a way that meets those needs to be interesting and entertaining, the things that you liked, right? What if we took those and made what we wish this documentary had been? And I feel like that is a much more productive kind of conversation that moves things forward rather than pushes people away. It's a conversation we can have with somebody and say, you know, if you want to make a documentary that says, I'm going to make a documentary that says everything about what was wrong with this Netflix documentary. You know, I think Jessica's like, she took a few minutes on YouTube. It's an appropriate kind of film review criticism of some of the things that were done in the documentary. Living our lives in opposition is not living our lives. To me, that's living someone else's. And one of the things that I've learned for myself over the years, if we come to a stop sign and we say, this person in my life has always gone left, so I'm going to do the opposite and I'm going to go right, that that is not freedom and that is not productive. But if we can come to a place where we can say, this person went left all the time and sometimes I go right. But I can go left when I need to, when it serves me, and I can also go straight through the intersection if this is really not going to be that important. What I would wish is that somebody will take this up in a way that is meeting those needs for sensitivity, for shared reality, for clarity, that creates community, uh, that creates understanding, and what if they said, you know what, some of those left-hand turns that this Netflix documentary took were spot on and that needs to be a part of this discussion. Sometimes I'm going to go right and sometimes I'm going to say, actually, that's not really what's important here and I'm not going to waste my time contradicting what they said because it doesn't, it doesn't matter. So there's some discernment in that mm-hmm. process. It's much easier said than done because in part, if you're setting yourself in opposition, admitting that the person or the thing you're opposed to did something right is like, (sighs) really? how can you do that?
1: The only way to learn and grow is if we can engage in those conversations across the table from people who we do have disagreements or differences from or with. And how can we bridge that gap through our communication and through our own awareness and say, well, let me understand where they're coming from or what points they have that are valid. And how can I grow from those and understand myself better through those that kind of open, transparent communication? Because what we do is oftentimes we kind of shut down. Like when someone says something that gets under our skin or goes at something that, it, that means a lot to us, it hits at our values, our beliefs, our held perspectives, our lived experience, we react. We react and we get defensive and we get emotional, we get angry, all these things come up that you. Does that help to, doesn't help us grow. doesn't help the other person because they shut down, right?
0: Well, so here for me, it's the point of discernment, right? So if fighting pain is pain, telling ourselves that those emotional responses are wrong is not gonna be helpful. It's just gonna create more suffering. So if we can say those emotional responses Those feelings are real. I'm going to honor those as real. They exist. The dysphoria, the feeling in the body, that that physical ADHD, and, and a lot of other people, emotional experience is very real. It doesn't mean that it's true. There might be evidence absolutely contradicting your emotional experience. But saying like, I'm wrong. I shouldn't be reactive to this. For me, is not helpful. What's helpful for me is to go, Wow, I'm reacting to this. Let me get curious about that reaction. Let me listen to what it has to say and not necessarily take it as absolute truth.
1: I I see what you're where you're going with that too, is that it's not it's not that those reactions and the raw emotions are good or bad. They're just they just are. And we can't assign any kind of label to it that says, I should be having this, I shouldn't be having this, I should react this way, shouldn't react this way. But what we can do is understand is this is this kind of helpful and constructive right now for me to to react when i am feeling this way or can i can i kind of take a step back and say wow i realize i'm experiencing a lot of these strong emotions what is this about what does this say about me and take that reflective standpoint before acting because i think when we jump from that we jump when we're reacting it's a it's a response it's that knee jerk reaction where we feel the emotion and we immediately move to action. But pausing and having that mindful, reflective space to open up and not necessarily have to choose the action based on the emotion. It's important, and maybe you do have to do that. Protect yourself or to express yourself, to be assertive. Sometimes it's important to react in the moment to things.
0: I would say, you know, one of the things about many people with ADHD is, you know, that impulse control, you know, something tells us we, we are supposed to be acting and we want to act right away. What I would say is, well, if you have an impulse to act and to do something and being mindful doesn't mean being calm. It doesn't mean, you know, sitting up on top of the mountain, in full lotus position. It means, wow, check out where I am right now. Okay. This is my experience right now. And if there is a real impulse to act and to do something, to have some strategies in your back pocket or get really creative. If you love to paint, can you take a canvas and pour that feeling into making something that reflects where you are at right now and let that painting be your mirror? If you're very verbal, can you turn on the voice recorder in your phone and just rant at it and go, okay, now I can. Replay that and listen to myself. I can take, I can literally create a way for me to hear myself in my own head. We absolutely can take action. And sometimes that action, and I think Uma Thurman recently um, with the Harvey Weinstein and the Me Too stuff that's been happening, I really, really liked what she did. Fully integrating her emotion of upset, of anger, of betrayal. It was very clear. She wasn't pushing away emotions. She wasn't gonna let those emotions get the better of her. She wasn't denying them either. And she said, you know, I'm waiting until I'm not angry to respond to this. Mm. She didn't say, oh no, I'm fine. I'm a calm, rational person and I should I should feel above it all. She was like, no, like I this sucks. And you can see in the video of the reporter asking her when she says, I'm waiting until I'm not angry that she is having a physical experience of anger. She is fully integrated between her thoughts and the physical experience of those emotions. And she's saying, what I need is to wait to talk about this. And then when she did, it was just this beautiful, vulnerable, thoughtful opening, right? Somebody was was asking her for for her knee-jerk response. And she's like, not right now. I'm not in a state. I don't want to speak from a place. I don't want to speak from this place, but I'm going to allow myself to be in this place. And that was really.
1: It's a mature. Uh, it's an emotionally mature way of, of handling a situation, knowing the kind of the, the developmental, the childlike reactiveness is that I'm going to throw a tantrum. I'm going to speak out. I'm going to tap in. And I'm I'm moving away from Uma Thurman for a minute. What she was going through yeah. is this, but I'm just saying. Just in general, when human beings are reacting emotionally to something, it goes back to that kind of early developmental state of, of being that, that child or feeling wounded and tapping into that place in your brain that is just all about the emotion. And it's, it, we then become disassociated with those higher level cognitive, rational modes of awareness, the executive functioning skills. And for ADHDers, who oftentimes we have some executive functioning difficulties, it can feel more comfortable to just go right into, I want to react. I want to move into that action as quick as possible. But practicing that emotional maturity, taking that pause, deciding how do I how do I act in response to this? And what do I want to do? How do I want to present myself into the world, into this conversation? That's important for everyone, I think.
0: For me, every time somebody says, do something that goes directly against your ADHD tendency, I'm like, Nuh-uh. no, I'm not going to do that. So what I'll, that what I'll invite sure? is some creativity <laughs> to say, I have this unmet need. I get to decide how I meet that need. If I have a need for impulse, I might write a really ranty, probably full of typos email. I never put an email address in the to field when I write ranty Mm -hmm. emails to myself. Later on, when when that emotion has been processed, maybe I write the email, I go for a walk, I go for a walk with my phone and rant into my phone whenever something pops into my head. Whatever those processes are, those are choosing to do something. If my ADHD tells me to do something, I can listen to it, but I can choose what that something is.
1: You don't have to be stuck in a place of inaction. Pausing and not acting can be a way to allow space because we're allowing that time to pass where the emotion is not. Like we're not full red, but we're allowing that time and space to pass by just deciding like, okay, I'm not going to react in the moment. But that doesn't mean you can't choose to do something and substitute action with something else that's more positive or constructive. Like you're saying, Mm -hmm. write it out, record it, tell a friend, go out and, and exercise or run or paint a painting or do something that is active and expressive. And channels all those emotions into something else.
0: And in that process of channeling those emotions, you're recognizing them because often those strong emotions are kind of like, you know, in some ways, I feel like they are like the little kid in us. And sometimes you just gotta let the four-year-old wear itself out. Okay, that's what it is right now. The effort that it takes to try to change it, you know, outside of having, you know, a violent explosion that, you know, harms yourself and others. It's okay to say I'm seeing red right now and not think that you're a bad person for seeing red. But Mm -hmm. to go, oh, interesting. Okay, that's there. And this is where I found, you know, when I said, of course, meditation only half works for me. (laughs) Is that it's not a process of letting that silt settle down in the pond so that there's clarity and calm and smoothness in the water. For me, it's been a process of learning how to surf and picking my waves and knowing when I'm on a big one and riding it with grace until the energy of that wave naturally dissipates. When I feel that way, it's I feel so proud of myself. I feel so proud of myself and how I feel that I can say I'm having these strong emotions. I'm having needs that are unmet. And I'm not letting these waves pummel me. I'm gonna ride them. Some waves are waves I'm not gonna pick. Kind of, that's not my wave. But notice, notice that sense of grace and that there is something powerful underneath you, and that you're one with it.
1: And also trusting and knowing the fact that there's a, it will pass.
0: It will. That
1: the wave might feel intense now, and it, and you're on, you're experiencing it on this up level, but that. At some point, it's going to go down. Oftentimes, when we're in these heightened emotional states, we think, how do I get out of this? Or how, I I don't know if I can take this anymore. Or I need to do something to relieve myself of that emotion, to change it, to modify it, to make it less intense, make it less painful or something. But I like that analogy of just kind of writing it because you're almost realizing where I'm not, I'm feeling this or the feelings are happening. And I can be aware of them and I can allow them to come up and down in any which way that they're going. But I, I can also still stay afloat. I don't have to let it drown me feel like I'm out of control. I can go kind of with them and let them let them happen and not have to not have to fight them or deny them either pretend that we, we don't have the emotion we're having and, And say, oh, no, no, I'm not feeling that way. I'm feeling this way. I'm happy or I'm perfectly this or whatever it is. Or being like, I shouldn't be mad. I shouldn't be angry, but I am. Or I shouldn't be, I should be happy when I'm not. Because then you're kind of telling yourself in this judgmental way how you should feel and how you need to feel. And that's a
0: lot of energy. That adds to the pain. Resisting pain is pain. So they talk about in physics. The impact of a car crash when the cars are side by side and going at the same speed is different than cars in a head-on collision. That head-on collision has a lot more explosiveness and and danger and and lethalness. So if we meet our emotions in that head-on confrontational way, it gives them energy. When we approach it in a way of, I'm judging this as unpleasant, but what what can I learn from it right now? What can I be? Can I be curious about it? What is it trying to tell me? Right? So I do work as a massage therapist. And when I see someone resisting their pain, it's like they feel it twice as much. And the brain doesn't know the difference between physical and emotional pain. As this person is trying to retreat from that sensation that they're judging as painful they're doing, one is they're creating more dysfunction on the other side. (laughs) It's compensation, right? You're going way too far the other way and that's going to cause problems. And they're also not understanding, well, what is it that your body is trying to do or trying to tell you? Once they understand that, and sometimes it's the tiniest little shift. Oh, oh, if I just do this one tiny little thing in my life differently, and it's not this big, like insurmountable problem, but like, wow, you know, if I just do this little tiny thing differently at my workstation in my car in my self-talk things are easier yeah and that for me when I think about my ADHD and my creativity it's like oh these things thank you thank you Netflix thank you for wanting to support somebody talking about this thank you for getting the ball rolling on this conversation
1: yeah yeah yeah, I, I feel similarly that, that okay, it may not have been the documentary that we wanted or that we had hoped for, or it may not be the thing that we, we think hits all of the, the points that are important for all of us, but it's creating interest, it's stimulating the conversation, and hopefully through that, we can advance other films. So let's see more of these films out there. Let's support creation of content and then how do we contribute to that content in a, in a way that feels constructive for all of us?
0: I really valued this time. I feel like I, my need to contribute has been met in this conversation. My need to reflect, my need for shared reality, my need for community. Did I already say community? I don't remember. So yeah, thank you for just being willing to, to rap about this. So can we take a moment and just maybe reflect back on what tools we talked about?
1: What are some of the tangible takeaways and tools and things that that uh, we brought up throughout the discussion and bring those back into focus towards the end?
0: We talked about I like, I wish, what if as being a smoother way to frame feedback that is both honest and moves things forward. You know, offers ways forward. Uh, we talked about mindfulness meditation and a little bit of what our expectations might be with an ADHD brain versus a non-ADHD brain.
1: Riding the wave.
0: Riding the wave versus the clear, calm pond. <laughs> we talked a little bit about some of the feelings and needs tools from nonviolent communication practices and how we might use those to develop some vocabulary around emotions, some self-awareness, self-understanding, and to communicate effectively what our needs are in order to get them met. And then also that that once we know what our unmet need is, it's within our power to fill it. It's really not up to anybody else. So relying on some of that ADHD creativity to help us move through emotions with emotions rather than turning them inward on ourselves or turning them outward on others. All right. Yeah. Would you add anything to that? Am I forgetting anything? I
1: think you summed it up (laughs) pretty well. And I I feel like this was a great discussion. And we're going to be coming back with more of these types of discussions. I hope you guys all enjoyed this too. Thanks for listening to be crazy. to be If you liked what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe on our YouTube channel. And check out attention different dots. Thanks.